Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Kara tonight, and our topic is paralysis. Scripture talks, interestingly, it's uh, really exclusively in the New Testament that we read about paralysis, and part of the um, undergirding of this whole Bible study is the idea that there's a deeper meaning in Scripture, and not a deeper meaning that takes away the outside of it, but something where you can read through the literal meaning of Scripture to get to a deeper sense of what it's talking about. And paralysis is one of those cases where Jesus associates paralysis, interestingly, with sin and getting over paralysis as being forgiven your sin. So we'll be exploring what exactly spiritual paralysis is tonight and how we can get over it. And would you care to join me in an opening prayer, good friends? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us together in your name. We pray for your presence among us as we open up the pages of your word and to understand what it is you are teaching us about paralysis and recovery from it. Amen. Amen. Sending out love to those of you online and those of you listening on the phone from up in beloved Canada and getting the audio and so on. So nice to be with you again. And uh, talking about paralysis. I want to sweep through Scripture as we often do. No, first thing I'm going to do is read a little bit about this Bible study because I don't do that all the time. Spirit and Life Bible Study looks at the Bible through a Swedenborgian lens, meaning in alignment with the teachings of Emanuel Swedenborg, born 1688, died 1772. The name Spirit and Life comes from Jesus himself, who says that his words are spirit and they are life, John 6.63. We take spirit here to mean that his words have a spiritual and heavenly meaning and purpose, and life to mean that his words are alive and aim to bring us to life by teaching us how we are to live if we wish to become spiritual and heavenly ourselves. And since Jesus is called the Word made flesh in John 1.14, what he says of his words, we believe applies to all the words of the Bible. They all teach who he is, and how we can get from hell to heaven. So that's a little bit about what we're doing here. Let's start with a couple of passages in the Psalms, although they don't explicitly talk about paralysis, but I just want to take these in order. So let's start in Psalm 40, shall we? Sure. Some of these are just favorite passages that seem to come to mind every week. <laughs> <laughs> they have nothing to do with my own spiritual condition. Uh, <laughs> <coughs> Psalm 40, just the first couple of verses there. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. Mm. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. Yes. So you see why we talk about that in an evening about paralysis, that this is about waiting for the Lord. The image here, is it not, is that David, who's singing this psalm, is stuck in a pit. He's, he's in a horrible pit with miry clay, so he, he can't move and he can't get out. You probably know that the way they did the um, water cisterns and so forth back in that time was that they would have something that was uh, narrower at the top to be able to keep the water from evaporating. So once you were in that pit... You know, and it might be 15, 18 feet deep or whatever. There was, there was no way you could get, you know, you're climbing back upwards this way. Uh, you can't get out of the pit by yourself. And that's part of the idea of paralysis, isn't it? That you can't, paralysis is something you can't get yourself out of. We need the Lord to get us out of it. And so David's down there in the pit and he just waits patiently for the Lord. What else can you do? Um, but I guess you could curse the Lord. That would help even less. But, uh, but he waits patiently for the Lord. And then the Lord inclines to him, hears his cry, brings him up out of the pit, out of the miry clay, sets his feet on the rock, and established David's going. So, so that, that, that image to me is, is often in my heart and my spirit of being able to get out of the clay, get your feet on the rock, and start moving again. So to me that came to mind in an evening about paralysis uh, being stuck, and then the Lord helping you to get to the point where you can start moving forward. It does not feel good to be stuck. 
I'm glad to think that it's never happened to any of you good friends, but, but it's not good to be stuck, and it feels so good to be able to get going again, to start to get some momentum or forward motion. Another psalm that came to mind was Psalm 88. And, uh, oh, let's just read that. We'll read a good chunk of that. O Lord, God of my salvation, I have cried out day and night before you. So this starts out <laughs> quite a similar way, doesn't it? God is the source of salvation. It, it, the, the psalmist is crying to him day and night. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. So what sort of state is this person in? Let's hear. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to the grave. Yes. Mm. I am counted with those who go down to the pit. I am like a man who has no strength. Now, there you go. Like uh, a man I'd, who has no strength. Sorry. You know, that's, that's like, in terms of paralysis, isn't that... That would a be paralysis. No you know, like you, you want to move, but your, you know, your body says, no, you, you just can't do it. Uh, go on. Adrift among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more and who are cut off from your hand. Mm. You right. have laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the depths. Your wrath lies heavy upon me and you have afflicted me with all your waves. Now, uh, something that is very intriguing. So, okay, you understand that the person uttering this psalm is in a really dire condition, uh, counted with those who are down in the pit, adrift among the dead. Uh, what an amazing phrase. People who are cut off from the Lord. You've laid me in the lowest pit in darkness in the deeps. Your wrath lies hard on me. You've afflicted me with all your waves. Um, Swedenborg uh, picks up on the, th the theme that we've studied a lot in this Bible study, that the whole Old Testament is about the life of Jesus, if read inwardly. We've just talked about that in recent Bible studies. And so Swedenborg reads this very psalm very much in terms of what Jesus went through when he was in this world. Now, that's an amazing thing to think about because... Uh, so read verse 4 again with the idea that this is Jesus saying this. Think of Jesus, such a powerful healer and preacher and, and such a huge influential figure. And what is he saying here? I am counted with those who go down to the pit. I am like a man who has no strength. Wow, did he really experience that? Did the Lord really experience that kind of powerlessness? And Swedenborg explains this psalm as meaning that when Jesus was going through temptations, which we know that he did from the literal sense of the Gospels, but Swedenborg says the Old Testament has a lot more information about that, that Jesus was actually going through you know, situations where he was in effect uh, down in hell. That's what it means, adrift among the dead, uh, that Jesus was just in the company of people. It says in the lowest pit, which would be the lowest hell in the darkness, down, down in the depths, and it's interesting that that place of being down in the depths is identified with powerlessness. You know, I had no strength. As if the farther down you go, the less strength you have. You know, you can't, you can't, you, you become more and more powerless the farther down into, into hell you go. And so it's an amazing thought that Jesus, who is this, such a powerful figure, had this experience of powerlessness. So I just wanted to read that as a nice little starter. Let's go to the New Testament now and read stories that are actually about paralysis uh, because there are some healing miracles. All four Gospels have a, have a miracle about uh, paralysis, but there's some overlap. So we'll, let's read Matthew chapter 8 and start at verse 5 there. And I'm always interested in the clues that the literal sense gives us about what this means spiritually. What sort of little things are said? So let's go ahead and look at this. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed. Oh, he's lying at home paralyzed. Okay, so here's the problem. There's a centurion, powerful soldier, uh, you know, in, in the Roman army, 
and he has a servant who is lying at home paralyzed. And how does that servant feel? Dreadfully tormented. Dreadfully tormented. You know, it's not like being paralyzed is sort of, well, at least I don't have to do the dishes, you know? Uh, it, it's, a, it's a torment to not be able to move, to, to have your will engaged and to want to do things and not to be able to get your body to do them. So he, he's dreadfully, or in the old King James, grievously tormented. Go on. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Now, I just... Isn't the Lord great? You know, some people would say, you know, well, what does that have to do with me? Or what's, I don't know, you know, you're a Roman. I, I don't know. But the Lord just writes, well, I'll come heal it. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Speak a word. Whenever you, here's a little clue, friends. You may know this. Whenever you see the word word in scripture, Hmm, just, hmm, what is that word? What does that have to do with? Speak the word. Okay. For and my I, servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now, okay, what is he saying? Don't come to my house because... I'm a man in authority, and when I tell people to do stuff, they do it. Which people? Who is he talking? Who are Jesus' people? Who would, who would Jesus delegate this to to get this done? He said, I'm a man of authority. I know how this works. Just tell your people to take care of it. You don't have to show up yourself. Well, who are Jesus' people? Aren't they angels? They're not in this world, right? they got got to be the angels, you know. What an amazing thing to say. This Roman, you know, a Roman. They didn't have a huge reputation as being hugely, deeply spiritual or anything at this particular point in the Roman Empire. Uh, but he says, I know how authority works. Oh, you don't need to, you know, it's like Jesus is the, is the general, you know, he, like he's in charge of the, the whole army. And uh, he doesn't have to do this himself. Just get somebody to take care of it. Take care of it. Heal, heal somebody for me. The idea that Jesus was the head of a chain of unseen beings, the last of whom could take care of a healing for you, is quite an amazing thing for this Roman centurion to say to Jesus. And so how does Jesus react when he says this? When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Yes. <laughs> now, <laughs> interesting that he doesn't say it to the Roman centurion. He says it to a bunch of people who are following. Hey, uh, you know, Israel could take a page out of this guy's book. I'm just saying. Go on. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Mm. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mm. What an amazing little thing to say. Isn't the gist of that that uh, this Roman who comes from, you know, the west, you know, many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, the ancestors, the progenitors of, of the Israelite people, they'll sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, uh, but the sons will be cast out into outer darkness. They'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so he's saying, wow, there's, there's some Gentiles who get it better than the people who are supposed to really be, you know, keepers of this information. And then Jesus adds, almost as an afterthought. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And the servant was healed that same hour. Now this is interesting because often in the New Testament miracles, faith is involved. You know, do you believe I can do this for you? That kind of thing. You know, often there's faith involved. But whose faith did the servant have faith? The centurion. 
The servant didn't even know a thing about it, right? Might not have even known the centurion had the conversation with Jesus. It's the centurion's faith that somehow got the other guy well. It's interesting. And, and Jesus says, go your way, and as you have believed, so be it done for you. You know, this is for the centurion. He's done it for the centurion that he, that he helped out his servant. Now, very, very interesting. Um, uh, this might be a good time to mention that I think what might be going on in the inner meaning here is that every one of us is a multi-layered being, and we have a spirit, and we have the flesh, and there's more to us than that. But I wonder if the servant stands for the outer self, and the centurion stands for the inner self. And the outer self is paralyzed, but the inner self is able to do something about it. You know what I mean? I just, I, that's my working theory on that one. Hold that in mind. And uh, Matthew chapter 26, let's go there because there's something very much along these lines. This is the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus uh, goes out there with Peter, James, and John, and he is suffering terribly. It's the eve of the crucifixion. And he asks them to just stay and watch with him. Just stay awake for a little while. Just watch with him. And in verse 40, what happens? Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and, mm. and said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? One, I'm just asking you for one hour. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Ah, you see, that's, that's what I'm talking about. You know, like we can be in a different condition in our spirit. Isn't that a picture? Uh, you can see how it's related to paralysis, that your spirit could be willing but your flesh can't, you know, so Peter could be like, yes, Lord, I'll, oh, you know, and he can't stay awake. He's powerless to stop the sleep from coming over him. So the spirit, there's a difference between the spirit and the flesh, and the spirit can be willing and the flesh can be weak. Isn't that kind of a picture of what's going on in paralysis, that you'd have a spirit that wants to do something, but the flesh can't do it, it's weak, and you're dreadfully tormented because you can't do what you want to do. Have a look at Mark. Turn to the right to Mark chapter 2. Mm. Okay, this is another classic uh, paralytic story. Read these first verses here. And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. There it is again. He's preaching the word to them. Okay. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. Mm. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. Mm. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Yes, this famous image of being let down through the roof is really amazing. When right. Jesus, yep, when Jesus saw their faith, whose faith? The faith of the people letting him down. Yeah, the four carriers. Here we go. Doesn't say a lick about the the paralytic. It's just the these friends had faith. They believed that Jesus could do something for them. And you probably could have thought. Well, we've been carrying this guy all across town, and then we get there, it's too crowded. Oh, well. Oh, well. But no, they go upstairs and they tear apart the roof. <laughs> go on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. See, that's what I'm talking about. This is what makes me think. See, you could just think, well, it's just talking about physical paralysis, and it's really wonderful that the Lord can heal people who are physically paralyzed. We see we can have faith in him, believe in him because he has the power to heal somebody who's paralyzed. But why would he say your sins are forgiven? What does that have to do with it? Your sins are forgiven you. Go on. 
And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Mm. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? <laughs> Who can forgive sins but God alone? Do you ever have scribe-type thoughts go through your head? <laughs> That's just great. Go on. But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves. I love the fact that Jesus is omniscient and he's he just like nothing gets past, you know, he knows exactly what they're thinking. They don't even say anything out loud. He perceives in his spirit that they're reasoning in themselves. Yep. He said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? <laughs> he didn't even say, are you having this thought? Or something? <laughs> he just said, why are you doing that? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? <laughs> now, what an interesting question. Easy. So it's as if, um, you know, they're saying it's blasphemous, but he's framing it as sort of like, oh, well, you want a real challenge? You know, <laughs> let's actually heal it now, shall we? <laughs> Go on. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Mm. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Now and listen to that. What's he supposed to do? Arise. arise. Three things, right? Arise. Arise. Take up your bed. Take up your bed. Go to your house. Go to your house. Arise, take up your bed, go to your house. Huh, I wonder what that house is. He's supposed to go to his house. Mm. Now, the centurion was already at home, wasn't he? he? He was back there at home. But this person was away from home, and he was supposed to arise, take up his bed, and go to his house. And then what happened? Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, mm. so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Yeah, isn't that wonderful? That's just great. So the Lord was able to fix that. But interesting that he didn't start with the physical problem. He started with the sin issue. Right? Your sins are forgiven you. Hmm. Started with the sin issue. And then he said, arise. And almost to, just to demonstrate to the scribes who were, who were thinking it was blasphemy... Uh, he's, I, I am able to forgive sins. Let me show you some evidence of that. As if the sin was what was pinning him down in his bed, you know, mm. by forgiving his sins. Then he says, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Mm, interesting. And look in chapter two there at the end. Um, oh, I want to pick up at verse 23. Let's do that. Now it happened... This that, is the end of the same chapter. Same chapter, okay? Now it happened that Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. Mm. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Yeah, there are rules about that. You know, there was only so far you were supposed to walk and they weren't supposed to do any work and had to begin to sundown the previous night and all. You know, and the Pharisees were, were experts in all those rules and they just couldn't believe that Jesus' disciples were eating and walking around on the Sabbath. And what did Jesus say to them? He said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he, he, he and accuses, those with him? He accuses them of not knowing Scripture. Yeah. Do you not know? Haven't you read this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. Wow. So, yes, right. That's a very confronting, you know, are you familiar with the Old Testament, you guys? You know, there's this story in there about David. And it's true. There's a story in there about David going in there and right into the tabernacle and eating the showbread right off the table in the holy place and giving it to the other people who were with him because he was starving and everything. And then what does Jesus say? This amazing statement. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Mm. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. 
What an astounding statement. So uh, what I take him to mean, they were all, the scribes were trying, the Pharisees were trying to get the people to obey the law. You know, you're supposed, it says in the book, you're not supposed to do that. So you have to change your behavior to accord with what it says in the book. And Jesus says this amazing thing. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made to be a benefit to people. The Sabbath was meant to serve human beings, not human beings serving the Sabbath. And the reason I mention that and single that out, because it might not seem to have anything to do with, with our topic tonight, but when you read what Swedenborg says about the bed that the paralyzed person is lying in, the bed means your teaching the doctrinal system that you're part of. And what needs to happen when you're paralyzed, when you're, when you're in your bed, your bed is carrying you. And what Jesus said was, arise, you carry your bed. This thing is the wrong way around. Man was not, the Sabbath was made for man. That bed was made for you. You were not, you're not made for that bed. The way that you hold your bed needs to change. The way that you hold your teachings needs to change here. You need to get up, go, go to a higher level, and you need to start walking with the stuff that you know. You've got to deploy this. What were the disciples doing? They were walking. Right? They were walking through the cornfields on the, mm -hmm. on the Sabbath day. And uh, so I hope to talk about that some more. But I think it's very interesting that those two stories are in the same chapter. You know, that there's something in that inner meaning of taking up your bed that's similar to that business of Sabbath being uh, for man. Doctrine is supposed to serve us. It's supposed to help us lead our lives. Obviously, the walking is also a picture uh, of you need to put the things you know into practice in your life. You, 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 need, to practice, you need to live by these things. You need to pick up. Uh, the reason Swedenborg says that, that uh, a bed means your doctrine, your teachings, that's like your worldview. It's like your... That's where you live. You're, you're super, super comfortable in your world. You know, you're not off base. You're not in somebody else's mindset or something. That's your mindset. That's where you're, it's just you feel perfectly at home and at peace in that way of looking at everything because that's just where you've been. That's where you sleep every night. That's what the bed means. Uh, but you can be very comfortable in a set of teachings uh, but not be deploying them in your life. You may be sleeping in them, but you're not walking around with, you know, you need to take them up and deploy them in your life. And going to your house, house has to do with the will. Your house has to do with the will and any fields that are around it or whatever has to do with the truth, the thoughts that are in your mind. So, so the, the, this is talking about our core passions and what we love, the highest thing that we love in our lives. I don't know if what's implied here is that when we are paralyzed, it may be because we have somehow doctrine has taken us away from that core love or something. Doesn't it say in Revelation, remember from where you've fallen, um, you know, go back to your first love kind of thing. Um, we need to go home. Now, Great idea, where's home? Uh, in the physical world, you know where you sleep, you, you know where home is. But um, spiritually, Swedenborg describes these journeys that people go on. 
And when people get to the spiritual world, he says there, there's a lot of wandering and they go from one community to another and they're, they're searching and searching. They go through a process and people are looking for home and they don't know where it is. And sometimes they go into a community and they look all through the thing to see if there's a house that sort of speaks to them or something. And then when they're not sure, then they go to the wisest elders in the community and they say, well, I didn't find anything. When you, you know, look at me spiritually, like, do, do I belong here? Am I in the right spot or whatever? And then they can, they can tell you. And they won't tell you, here's where you belong. But they'll say, I think you should try somewhere else. Or try again, you know, have another look or something like that. People go on these long journeys. So the Lord says, take up your bed and go home. Well, that's great. And it might not take you very long once your legs are working again uh, in the physical world. But he may be talking about a century-long project for us. You know what I mean? Trying to find your way home. Trying to find your way to that passion that drives you from inside and get rid of the obstacles that are in the way. Uh, let's look at some other passages along these lines. Go, let's go to the Gospel of John. Turn to the right. Go through Luke. Get to John chapter 5. Mm. The Word is just so amazing. Let's look at the beginning of chapter 5 here. Interesting how many paralysis stories start a chapter. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having hmm. five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, mm. waiting for the moving of the water. Mm. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Very strange little story. Go on. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. Oh. Not too bad, 38 years, okay. <laughs> when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, hmm. he said to him, do you want to be made well? Now, this time Jesus is, is interacting with the person who's afflicted. and the other ones, it was the friends or the centurion. Uh, go on. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. There's those three basically again, right? Rise, take up your bed. You've been lying on your bed. Now you stand up and you pick it up and walk. And immediately the man was made well took up his bed and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. And let's just read the next verse for fun. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. <laughs> it is not lawful for you to carry your bed. Now this is considered picky in some circles that when you've just been healed from paralysis and you're walking around town with your bed, to have someone say, You're not supposed to be carrying that today. You know, thanks for your help. You know, <laughs> thanks for the love, buddy. Um, <laughs> just amazing. But I think it's speaking to the same issue, isn't it? Like, wait a minute, you went and took that, those teachings and you're, you're carrying, what are you doing with that? You're supposed to just be lying in that, not moving. You know, you're not supposed to be walking around with that thing. Uh, so interesting that it immediately becomes an issue of whether you're following the scripture. You know, what, like, are you living by those things? It's very important to live by the word. And yet this seems to suggest that there's a developmental phase for us where it's got to reverse. If we're stuck, if we've been there a while, it suddenly reminds me of the children of Israel in the land of Egypt, which is there. They went down there freely. They got this wonderful land of Goshen to live in, the richest part of the land, and, and they, they, everything was great. But over time, they got enslaved. Is your bed somewhere where you're comfortable to begin with, but after a while, you know, you're paralyzed by that point of view and you need the Lord to come in and you can't, you can't 
you want to move. Even if you want to move, you can't. And the Lord has to come in and tell you, get up, pick up your bed and walk. And the Lord gives you the power to do that and you move forward. Um, and look at, um, uh, how about verse 30? What does Jesus say about himself there? Just that first little phrase. What is he saying there? I can of myself do nothing. Jesus says I can of myself do Then we're all in deep trouble. Is it of myself? I can do nothing. What do we read in Psalm 88? That he was in with he had no strength. You know, he'd see he'd been in that state. He'd been in the pit. He'd been down there adrift with the dead and knew that I, I of myself, I have no strength. Now that gets to another important point, which is that it seems to be an important, if Jesus had to go through it, then it's not like a dreadful mistake if you're paralyzed. What if it's actually a state that teaches us something about the Lord. Didn't those Psalms begin with, I wait patiently for the Lord, you know? You know, my salvation comes from the Lord and that kind of thing. And I, he heard my cry. You know, you're crying out to the Lord, looking for this salvation. There's something about that state of powerlessness, of the awareness. You know, it's one thing to be paralyzed and not to be aware. Uh, but another thing to really become aware of the fact that, wow, I'm really stuck in this issue, I really can't move. And I, 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 I want to, I make promises to people or whatever, but I cannot move forward on this thing. I am just plain stuck. And then to cry out to the Lord and then for the Lord to be able to move, give us the strength to be able to rise up and to move forward. It, uh, there's something we learn when we're powerless. You know, we learn who the Lord is and we learn something about our lower selves. Uh, have a look also at John 15. Another scripture that comes to mind. Verses 4 and 5, very, very famous statement. Mm. In John 15. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Mm, unless of it, itself. Of itself. Yeah, right. The, the branch... The branch is powerless to bear fruit on its own unless... Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Mm. So paralysis may be something that's helpful to teach us that, oh, yeah, okay, we've got to be attached to the Lord for this fruit bearing to take place. And then the Lord goes on. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Without me? Wow. You can see why that came to mind in connection with paralysis. Without me, you can do nothing. Hmm. Now, what does that mean? In Acts, it says, in him we live and move and have our being. I think that that means, you know, the way Swedenborg explains it, without me, you can do nothing means you can do nothing good. You can do you know, of yourself, you can't follow the truth. You can't be loving to other people. Without the Lord, without His compassion and truth, we can do nothing. Um, so, all right, a few more. Turn to the right. Let's go into Acts chapter 9. Okay, here's another interesting twist. Verse 32. Now it came to pass, as Peter went through all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. There he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. Bedridden eight years and paralyzed. Okay, how's this going to go? And Peter came to him, and Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Now wait, it's supposed to be take up your bed. No kid wants to be told, make your bed. That's what Peter says. Get up and make, make your... No, I'm supposed to take up my bed. Make my bed? 
Is that what it said? Mm, that's what it says. Okay. And what did he do? Then he arose immediately. We don't know whether he made his bed or not. <laughs> so all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Turned to the Lord. Yes. So isn't that interesting? Make your bed. What is, what is that twist? Take up your bed. Make your bed. It's like maybe something needs revising about your your teachings or your understanding, your worldview, your sense of who you are, of who other people are. Maybe there's a problem with that and you need to make, you know, like you need more order or something on that level. I just found that very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. And uh, now Romans chapter 7, we have to read, it's a union rule, every Bible study. <laughs> Romans chapter 7 is Paul's epistle to the Romans. And uh, we just have to read from verse 14, I think. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's really any choice about it. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Mm. For sin. what? Jesus says your sins are forgiven. Sin has something to do with paralysis. Now, what is that? Okay, go on. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. Well, that to me would be a state of paralysis. What you will to do, you don't practice. Isn't that what it is? Like, I want to do X, but mm, can't get myself to do it. <laughs> and? But what I hate, that I do. Oh, so you have no problem doing the things you hate doing. <laughs> yeah. But you can't do the things that you want to do. That, that's a kind of spiritual paralysis. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Now see, his consciousness is changing and sin is what is holding him back. There's sin in his outer self. That's why I, one reason I thought that maybe that centurion servant had to do with the outer self. You know, that's where that sin is on that level. Uh, it's burdening the outer self. Um, go on. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh. Ah, important correction. In me, that is in my flesh. Nothing good dwells. Mm. For to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. That is spiritual paralysis. Mm. And it's an important developmental stage, isn't it? Like it's, you could be in a state where you don't will it. But he's in a state where he wills it. He just can't put it into practice. Dreadfully tormented. You know, it's horrible to, to will something and then your, your hands are just doing something else. Go on. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Mm. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. This is such an important psychological distinction that Paul is realizing. Mm. Oh, that's not me. Because my will is not to do that. So that is something else. That's called sin. It's dwelling in me. It's controlling my outward actions and everything, but it's not me. Go on. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. Mm. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Wow, so there's really just two different sort of kingdoms or two different sets of law in here, and one is in his inward self, and he delights in the law of God. You know, he loves it. He wants to practice it, but he sees, and this is a heightened state of consciousness, he sees this other law in his outer self that brings, me, it brings him into captivity to the law of sin in his members. And how does he feel about that? It feels good, right? Mm. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? This body of death. Isn't that similar to something you would say if you were, you know, in that state of paralysis? Who will deliver me from this wretched situation? And then let's just close out the chapter there. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord 
So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. That's a really amazing passage. I just never tire of reading that, find new things in it all the time. Look at chapter 8, verse 26. This is also just a neat little, you know. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. Yes, it helps. So the Spirit helps in our weaknesses. Yeah. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Mm. I love that phrase that we, we don't even know what to pray for. You know, like we would pray, you know, we would cry out to the Lord. We don't even know what to ask for. We, we don't even know the right, right thing to pray for, what, what to ask for. But the Spirit is groaning and, and makes intercession for us. So the Lord helps us out. Um, good, 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 good. Let's turn to the right to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Hmm. I think this is kind of an explanation of what's going on, like what the spiritual purpose, why it would be allowed that we go through this stuckness sometimes. Let's start at verse 26 in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Oh, wait, we need to read verse 25, do we not? <laughs> do I hear 24? <laughs> okay. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Mm, interesting phrase, huh? Go on. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. Do you get what it's saying? People who are worldly wise, people who are physically strong, or people who are doing well in this world, at this point in early Christianity, they, they were not at the head of the line to get into Christianity. It was the waifs and strays, you know, it was the <laughs> misfits and the outcasts and so on that, that were coming in, um, like the spotted and the speckled and the black of the lambs. Um, uh, so you you will see that not many people who are sort of sort of excelling in their earthly life uh, are called. Go on. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, mm. and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Aha! Uh -huh. So that weakness is important. Go on. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Mm. Why? Th that no flesh should glory in his presence. Yeah, it's not like, oh, right, or oh, what a good boy am I, you know. It's like, no, I am really weak. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Um, yes, let's go do, do the last two there. But of him you are in Christ Jesus. But of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. That's, that's the essence of it. Well, I think sorry, that's I what the paralysis that. serves to do is to say, find a glory, but glory in the Lord. You know, the Lord is the one with the strength. That's what you learn when you go through a, a spiritual paralysis. Uh, oh, let's see. Let's see if we can do these real quick. 1 Corinthians 14. Um, oh. Yeah, this just came to mind. I love, <laughs> I love this phrase. 14 verse 8. For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? Yes, that uncertain sound. It, it just spoke to me about... Uh, like there's a communication problem in paralysis, isn't there? And you have two different parts of yourself. What Paul was describing was you have two different parts that are at war with each other. And that's why you can't, you know, like there's a disconnect and they can't go. Or here it's just, just a sound, you know, uh, if it's an uncertain sound, who would prepare for battle? You need some, some signal that's so clear to be able to prepare for battle. Um, Let's go to 15, verse 42 and 43. 
talking about the physical body and the spiritual body. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Go on. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. Surely an experience of um, just being in this world from birth on and, uh, has certainly lots of uh, aspects of powerlessness and weakness and, and so on. Uh, it's very, and, and the end of life often has that feature. And so it, the idea that it's sown in weakness and it's raised in power um, that's a very beautiful thought that the Lord resurrects us, you know, raises us up. And so there's an image of that in these healings from paralysis. Um, and let's go to 2 Corinthians. There's another passage in chapter 12 that we read every week about how the Lord's strength is made perfect in weakness, blah, 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 blah. And look at chapter 13, verse 4 about Jesus. What does that say? For though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. It's even true in Jesus' case that the crucifixion was a, a, an experience of, of weakness, an important transformative experience mm. of weakness. Isn't that, isn't that fascinating? Mm. And yet he lives by the power of God. That was his glorification, was that that divine power was taking over his life. Um, Oh, let's go to Hebrews. So plow through some more epistles and things that start with a T and you'll get to Hebrews. We're halfway back to the book of Revelation. I want to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, verse 1, actually. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. The and weight, the sin. You see, that, I'm sure it's from this passage that the idea of heavy as sin comes from. Sin is heavy. This paralysis, the Lord says, your sins are forgiven you. When you have an inner self that wills good things, but you're burdened by this sin, you're paralyzed by it, you can't move forward because you can't, you can't get around the thing that you did or, you know, it's just, it's heavy as lead and it just weighs you down. And what he says here is to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us and let's run with endurance the race that's set before us. So that idea that sin is heavy, I think, plays into this topic of paralysis this evening. And, um, oh... Let's do Revelation 3, verse 8, about the Church of Philadelphia. Again, this is, I think, the good state. The Church of Philadelphia is really wonderful in this letter. And uh, what does it say? I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength. A little strength. That means that you know that you're powerless of yourself. Because you've, you've seen yourself in some paralysis situations, as Paul was just seeing. Wow, the thing that I want, I don't do. And I do something different than that. And uh, so that you, you know this door is open to people who know that, they, that their, their own power is, is minimal. Hmm. Go on. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Okay, and let's just close out with two more scriptures in Revelation chapter 12. Um, uh, what do I want here? Uh, verses 10 and 11. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength. Oh, strength. And the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. Oh, isn't that nice? Have come. Now the, these things have come. Isn't that amazing? They all go together. Salvation and strength. Salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. And what, 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 what happened there? For the accuser of our brethren, 
who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Cast down. That's what the Lord is able to do for us is to cast that down. Look at what Paul went through. He said, wait a minute. This is not me. I don't even want this. This is sin that dwells in me and that my outer self seems to be captive to this sin. I don't even want, this is not me. This is part of the truth that the Lord gives us that frees us from that paralysis where he says there's a difference between you and this. You can actually get up, you can walk, you can do things. Uh, you're identifying with, the, with something that you don't need to identify with. And what helped them there in verse 11? And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Yes. So they sort of fell out of love with themselves. And the blood of the lamb means divine truth. That's, that's what the Lord helps us. So let's uh, go back to Isaiah in the Old Testament, about in the middle of your Bible. I want to read um, in chapter 40 here and then give you a couple of closing thoughts. Uh, 29. Let's try start at 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Mm. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Yes, indeed. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. That's where we started with those psalms, wasn't it? Waiting for the Lord, crying out to him. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is what scripture is telling us again and again. So in order to summarize what we're, what we're talking about this evening, uh, paralysis is caused by a kind of opposition or at the very least a lack of communication between our inner self and our outer self. Spiritual paralysis is caused by our inner self, we may be willing things, but we can't do we can't get our lower selves to do them. The inside and the outside are at war with each other. And it's because the outside is burdened with the weight of sin. Uh, there's something in the outer self that's heavy, that's weighing us down and making it hard for us to move forward. Uh, so something that we need to do with the Lord's help, what the Lord, the Lord means the word. And so you say, he says the word, say the word and your servant will be healed. He says a word. He speaks the truth to us. He tells us the truth about ourselves, truth about our situation. And he says, um, arise, you know, lift up into that inner self. So a lot of what the Lord's doing with us through the course of our lives is to strengthen us. What does it say in Ephesians? Strengthen us with might in the inner man. Uh, the Lord is strengthening our inner self. And then pick up those teachings and get busy deploying them in your life. Now, you may start walking. You may not know which way home is. But start walking. Whatever your philosophy, whatever your worldview, whatever the system you have in your head that you've been taught... Start deploying that in your life in a new way. Find some way to step forward. Oh, well, boom, boom, boom. Yeah, oh, I can actually, mm, and this is true because the Lord is with me. He's helping with, I'm doing it from the Lord's power, not my own. Uh, that's not actually, uh, you know, that's, that's sin. All goodness, I think about this a lot lately. Swedenborg teaches, all goodness, I think about this, like when somebody's done something horrible or something, I've been thinking lately, well, everything good comes from the Lord and everything evil comes from hell. Period. That's, that's the whole story. And, and we're just vessels. If we get clear on that, that it's not, we need to take responsibility for it, but it's not our, we didn't originate, we didn't create that sin. We didn't cook it up. It already existed in hell before we came along. Hell got, you know, put it in our pocket and then arrested us for it. Uh, but it wasn't ours. Um, and once we get clearer about that, the Lord tells us the truth, 
then we're able to get up and then we can take those teachings, you know, deploy them in our lives and start walking, maybe a long journey, but start carrying those teachings. The, the Sabbath, the man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for us. These teachings were made for us. We may be serving something in an artificial, I'm not saying to become crazy and lawless or something, but the highest part of you, arise, you know, the highest part of us uh, to pick up those teachings and to start walking in a positive direction with them to say, hey, no, this is, you know, why was it okay for David to go in and eat the bread right off the, you're not even allowed in there, you know? Uh, but he walked in and did that. Why, why could he do that? Well, there was a need. There was a hunger. And, and uh, so you start to get right on your priorities. The biggest priority is not that you're carrying your bed on the Sabbath day. It's that you've just been healed by God and you're walking around. You know, that's what's exciting about that day. So paralysis shows us the difference between us working with the Lord, that when the work is being done, the Lord is the one doing it. When we're trying on our own to do things, uh, of ourselves, we can do nothing. Even Jesus says this of himself. Of myself, I can do nothing. Crucified in weakness, had no strength, you know. Of ourselves, we can do nothing. So when we look back over our lives, everything that's been done, everything that we accomplished, every time we move forward, that was the Lord. It's good to give the Lord credit for that forward motion. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. So in conclusion, oh, and a very other, another very important part that I want to say, uh, but it won't take me very long, is that um, look at the role of faith of others. Like when you see someone else who is stuck, maybe you can have some faith for them that it's possible that they may be going through a developmental stage. They may be learning something. You know, the Lord doesn't teach us lessons by punishing us or something, but the Lord may be using the circumstance to bless us with a greater sense of how the power comes from the Lord and not from ourselves. So when others are stuck, maybe our faith, maybe we have some perspective. Just hold in your mind the image of that person not stuck because your faith may make the difference. The Lord may be able to do a miracle for them because you could see it, because you could receive the fact. The whole thing of paralysis is that we can't, do it ourselves. There's nothing we can do about it. Uh, but we can do something for others. We can hold that faith that maybe we will get to see them in an unstuck state at some point. So in conclusion, feeling paralyzed, spiritually paralyzed, is indeed a great torment. It's a horrible feeling, even though it's an important developmental stage, to get to the point where you want things that are good. You want to love other people you want to love the Lord, you want to know the truth and act on it in your life, but for some reason you can't do it. You're, you're sold under sin, as, as, um, as Paul says. To free us, the Lord tells us to trade places with our beliefs so that we are walking and they are being carried and go toward our highest passions and our joy. That's what our home is. Start heading towards where our heart is happy because that's where the Lord gives us the most power and the most effectiveness in other people's lives. Thank you for your kind attention and support. Good friends, let's close with a prayer. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. We thank you, Lord, for bowing the heavens and coming down into this world, for bearing that weakness, for going through the horror of temptation, for being all the way down in the lowest hell and suffering on our behalf so that you could free us from what paralyzes us. We thank you, Lord. If we're feeling stuck now, we pray for that moment when you lift us up if we were stuck in the past, we thank you for showing us the way. 
teaching us how to what, what's most important, what needs to be at the heart. Love is at the heart. Truth comes second. And help us walk toward our eternal home. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. As in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends, so the Lord may help us.